everyone, and welcome to Minute 26 of Season 3 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today is Hans Gruber, <laughs> a.k.a. DJ Valentine of the Simplistic Review. Welcome to the show, DJ. Thanks for having me on the program, Rob. I am pleased and overjoyed to talk about the film. Minutes of time, mostly starring me and some bartender who drinks wine coolers, sings on a harmonica. I think that's the name of the instrument. I played the the recorder, actually. I'm actually a flutist also. I do many, many, many things. And I'm not appreciated about it, but it's a fine. It's fine. It's all, it's all good. Well, I'm grateful to have you for this for the, this week because these are pure Hans minutes. So of course, it works perfectly. <laughs> what so. uh, what other podcasts would you want? Would you want to do one about John McClane, <laughs> Officer John McClane of the New York Police Department? Please, please come on. <laughs> All right, well, minute 26 begins with Hans trying to quiet down the crowd and ends with Ellis looking completely wasted. <laughs> well, that's not the phrase I would have used for sure. That is, that is accurate. That is, that is accurate. Why not? We're trying to be as accurate as possible here. You know, we were, we're, right. we're not beating around the bush. We're, we're, we're being as, as much straight shooters as we can. You know, especially since we haven't even gotten to the cowboy lines, but we're still doing no. it. We're still doing it. <laughs> so what we ended on Friday was the uh, group of adversaries or the villains. We're, we'll, we'll, during this week, we'll figure out what they really are. But let's just call them villains for now. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the villains show up and they, they get out of the elevator and they start shooting and they start taking people out of rooms, you know, and they almost catch John McClane. But he's able to quickly run away and uh, get into the stairs without any shoes. But he still uh, is able to do that. And then we get a shot back in the main uh, room where everyone is still partying. And we see Hans trying to gather everyone together. Uh, all the other villains are trying to gather everyone together. Hans is standing. It looks like he's getting ready to make a speech. You know, it's his uh, valedictorian speech. <laughs> he's... <laughs> Yeah, he's it's valedictorian. I've got five A's, four B's. <laughs> My GPA is a three point nine. When you go out into the world, <laughs> make take sure. all you can take. <laughs> Give nothing back. There you go. <laughs> and I mean, I love how he's he's standing there. You have the the other villains all standing around, uh, half on guard, half slouching. You know, just just enjoying what's going on. You know, and, you know, he's got like this uh, final fax in his hand, which is just really funny that he's carrying it around. It's like it shows how uh, highbrow he's he's meant to be, you know, by, by holding it up. And then he like opens it and starts looking inside. And I mean, first of all, he's very cool and collective here. You know, he's he's trying to calm right. everyone down. He picks up his hands, you know, and tries to calm people down in a, a very... Uh, uh, polite and orderly manner, I guess you can say. Right, like he's. Uh, I mean, I had watched this scene 
close to 1500 times uh, but when i was spoofing it for uh the, the sketch on a show i really got to like really get into it because i had to like rewrite it a little bit and i i think this opening bit with him encompasses hans gruber completely he has yes. he likes to play with his own perception a lot he wants people to see him as this educated charming guy but he wants them also to see him as scary it's clear here that he has like he's done his homework he he perfectly uh, pronounces Takagi's whole name. He reads his bona fides, but then he like stalks through the crowd like a lion. Like right. he's like walking through prey, and he's so he, he and then he'll flip it again where he's like he's we're, we're going to get to that later where he'll. Right, I think this talk. whole week. I think I think you're right. I think this entire week is he's doing that. Right, you know every single scene words. that we see him, we see him here. We're going to later on see him in the, in the elevator. We're going to see him in the boardroom. You know all of these places. He's he's doing exactly what you said, and and that's this. These are actually five, in my opinion, five very integral minutes in this movie because they establish Hans Gruber as one of the best villains in any movie ever. Right. You know he most movies will just you know like even even fun movies like Under Siege, which has Tommy Lee Jones, you know, as the bad guy. You know, they, they gloss over the, the character a little too much. Mm. You know, he's he's fun to watch and stuff like he's that. He's not subtle, Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee is right. full bore. Him, I mean, when he's overpowering uh, Gary Busey, you know, he's full bore. Where right. Hans is subtle. He's 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 out. He's looking for somebody on his level throughout this movie. Uh, in, in mind situation. Right, he's looking uh, for someone on the same intellectual levels, and which which right. he doesn't find. <laughs> no, I mean he he thinks he, there's, mo there's moments in the movie where he thinks he finds, and uh, there's a I mean I don't want to bring it back to comic book stuff, but there's a scene in um, Captain bring America. Bring it back, you weren't there. Sorry, I, 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 sorry. No, I'm saying uh, bring it back. You weren't there yet. My my yeah my uh, history is that I'm a comic book geek, but yeah, th there's a scene in um. Uh, Captain America, the first Avenger near the end where uh, Red Skull has captured Captain America. And they, at the time, had both taken this super soldier serum that's made them super strong. And like mm -hmm. Red Skull thought he was given it because he's this holier than thou into like a perfect person. And he doesn't, he wants to know why this normal person, it infuriates him that this normal person like Steve Rogers also got the thing that he thought it was bestowed by gods and destiny. And that's kind of like, Hans throughout this movie where he's like I'm looking for my intellectual equal and it's this flat foot cop from New York City <laughs> no there's no way this should be it should be somebody like Takagi it should be somebody like crap Ellis or Holly Gennaro it should be somebody like that but for some reason it's this dude that doesn't he's just a guy <laughs> that, right. I think that pisses Hans off the most throughout this film yeah I, I would agree with you on that but but I, I, I love the cat and mouse between the two of them because of that because they're not on the same intellectual level, but they're still each of them are, are since they're they're both trying to outsmart the other one, but in in different I, ways. I think, I think they are on the same intellectual level. I mean, well, it's almost like his street smarts are so much so high, it negates Hans's intellect. So it's it, it's it's they're 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 smart on two different levels, and it kind of evens them out which is it's weird it, every time i watch it it's like but i can tell hans cannot 
except he wanted a different type of challenge. I didn't say he didn't want a challenge. He just wanted his the, the 30%. But he kind of didn't, he, he kind of thought he was going to get some kind of resistance. And he thought he figured out all the resistance he would get would be these businessmen or feds or government types or the media. It wouldn't be some security, security. Some poison, it wouldn't, it wouldn't some poison pill. <laughs> some poison pill. Yeah, it wouldn't be that. He, he, it, 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 that's what I, I, I dig about it because he likes playing the game, but he thinks he should have won five moves ago. But for some reason, this this uh, savant, this chess savant, is winning with some without even like he's just moving pieces around where he's studied chess for years. Right. <laughs> and this guy keeps hanging with him. Exactly. He's like, what the hell is Bobby Fischer doing here? Yeah, yeah well, get out of here, Bobby <laughs> Fischer. <laughs> I'm Russian. Come on. <laughs> Seriously. So do you do you want to actually do the dialogue right now for, for what Han says here? Okay, I can do it all right here. <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. And then this is the press part. He gets he gets he gets really loud and then he just he gets really quiet. And he goes, yes. Well he's trying to get everyone's funny. attention and then right, you know, that's, that's what you do. You so, you scream, so get polite. the attention, and then you, you do it nice and, and slowly and calmly. Right. right. He, he says, due to the Nakatomi Corporation's legacy of greed around the globe, that'll be they're about to be taught to rest in the Norelius of power. You will be witnesses. And he gets real quiet. And he just closed the book like la la <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like I don't need the book anymore. Like what was he reading from the book? I think that might have been his notes. I really want to know because he, he speaks multiple languages, multiple accents. I don't think it was his speech. I think it was notes on Takagi, if I had to guess, because then he goes right into which he has memorized. He's probably been reading up on Takagi this whole time. Where is Mr. Takagi? And then he just lays it out, which is a flex, as we call it in the hood. Uh, just that I know everything about this guy. I am not to be messaged. I know his whole Joseph Yoshinobu Takagi, born Kyoto, nineteen. He just lays out everything. Uh, and then and then Holly goes, "Don't move." She grabs him, which I love. This is the this that it's is great. one of the moments of this uh uh movie. When I I saw this movie when I was ten, and that that I was I followed on pretty well, but that was one of the moments that helped me. Uh, confused me a little bit on when I was 10 I thought Holly left John and married Takagi because I was 10 years old I didn't realize it and this is one of the moments where she was so protective of him right. I thought that they again once I were out to the game like, oh yeah she's just a very that she really likes his her boss or whatever but that was one of the moments where she don't move and she I, kind of, I, I love the way that her her fingers curl around his his arm his arm like, right it, right it's right, like right. one finger at a time it's like in a right. fanning motion type of thing yeah. Right. Just the best move. part of this, the best part of this speech is at the very end. Well, which <laughs> but, won't be today. Well, we're you know we're today, but yeah, he pretty much goes. Family immigrated to San Pedro, California, 1939. Interned at Manzanar, 1942 to 43. Scholarship student, University of California. And then he gets 19- cut off. No, that's yeah. it. That's it. That's where he gets cut off. We don't even we don't go beyond that. So I mean, first of all, it's it's a great speech. There's no question about it. Obviously, this is just the beginning of the speech anyway. But And it's backstory. You're getting backstory out. We get so world. much backstory about, about Takagi at this point. We you know, first of all, the, the the first thing we find out is that he is fifty one years old. Right. You know, and well actually the first thing we find out about is the fact that, that it's the Nakatomi Corporation. They have a legacy of greed around the globe. So 
you know, we, we never really find could out. Be a, that, that could be an opinion, though. That could be Correct. Hans's uh, perception of the corp, the company. Right. I got it. I, the, the thing I got out of it, because when we first see, you, you had talked about it earlier uh, on previous shows, that when you first see Takagi, uh, he's so likable and down to earth, and he's yes. probably dealt with uh, crap his entire life. And it, you see his upbringing, as Hans says, he was living, he lived in San Pedro, California. He's almost as American as everybody, anybody. He he's right. probably been bullied, and he he pulled himself. I think the first line he says to uh, uh, John is something about Pearl Harbor. He jokes about it. Yes, probably right. he somebody. Says, he says, "Well, Pearl Harbor didn't work out, so we decided to get you with tape, tape decks." <laughs> Right. So it's like, I, I which is so prophetic I'm, when you think about it nowadays, you know, I mean, yeah. 30, 30, <laughs> 34 years later, you know, the, the Japanese really did get everybody with, with all the exactly. technology. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I just got that from his dad and his backstory is that he's probably, a, well, now I know he's a good guy. He's a good dude. Yes. Uh, and despite what uh, Hans is saying about his corporation, which again we don't know much. I God, I wish I, I don't know if they get into uh, uh, it as much in the novel. Um, uh, no, because the but... novel does, the novel has its completely different characters. Because right, it's, a, it's okay, a Texas okay. it's a Texas oil, Texas oil uh, man or something, right? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So, so we're we're, so we're not I, even we're not even going to go in there this week because none of that uh, is really relevant here. But right, right. But yeah, I just like how I mean, I always appreciate when a movie puts in. I mean, because that's the the big hurdle is when you got I got to put in an exposition when you're writing something, and right. if you do it in a natural way that actually like you're in this scene. Usually, somebody starts talking about backstory, you kind of zone out a little bit. But here, because of Rickman's performance, how they stage it, the cat and mouse, the tense, the ten, the tension of the scene or whatever, it you're getting all this backstory, and it's it, it's good. And it helps the character, and you it's one of the my favorite scenes in the movie because what's going on which is why it was kismet that, that you got this week you know yes sure. very, very much <laughs> right so i mean some of the things that he mentions here i want to just quickly go into okay so what what is what is greed what what is greed greed yeah. greed is good lack of besides word, greed is good is, yes <laughs> are we talking about wall street now hey look michael douglas come on here <laughs> greed um i think it's more i don't want to say it's like a disney thing i think in terms of you are dominating the market to the point where other, whatever market that is, other companies can't even compete with you to the point where they have to fold up because of the, your large success, you're not even making it an even playing field with other people. You have completely taken over. That's what I kind of see the Nakatomi Corporation as, is they're just the Disney of, you know, how Disney's literally taking over the movie industry. They, they, they bought Fox, you know, they're buying all this other stuff. That's kind of how I saw Nakatomi in terms of uh, uh, corporation of industry kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhat. Yeah, right. So basically the the definition of greed is greed is an uncontrolled longing for increase in the acquisition or use of or for the use of material gain, be it food, money, land, animate or inanimate possessions, social value, status, power, right? It's been identified as undesirable throughout known human history because it creates behavior conflict between personal and social goals, right? The, the initial motivation or the purpose of greed and actions associated with it may be the promotion of personal or family survival. It may be the same, at the, it may be at the same time 
the to the intent to deny or obstruct competitors from potential means for basic survival and comfort or future opportunities. Therefore, being insidious or tyrannical and having a negative connotation. Alternatively, the purpose can be defense or counteractive response to such obstructions being threatened by others. But regardless of purpose, greed intends to create an inequity of access or distribution to community wealth, which fits in exactly what you were saying. I mean, apparently what they're trying to, to, to tell us here is, is that the Nakatomi Corporation, at least in Hans Gruber's eyes, is a company that is, you know, doing things in order to make itself better, but at the same time, it's bringing other people or companies or, you know, bringing other people down, mm-hmm. you know, for, the, for their had, own he survival. Select, he selected Nakatomi for, uh, I mean, he could have attacked anyone yes. uh, or stolen anyone. And I yeah, think but, he tried but, to find. But, but we find out later this week why he chose um, Nakatomi. There's, right. there's a reason. We'll get there. We'll get there. Right. We'll get there, I think, on Friday. We'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah. You know. Just to, to keep people around, you know, who are interested in finding out what it is that's going to happen on Friday. And the, the one last thing I want to say about greed is there actually are researchers that have uh, that have suggested that there is a genetic basis for greed. And that uh, when when going through the genome, they found that there is a gene called the ruthlessness gene. <laughs> really? And I'm being serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And apparently there's a defect in that particular gene. Which uh, make, make, helps make people more selfish. Helps so. make people more selfish. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so I, next time I'm, you want to go not... get your 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 uh, genome checked, you know, check to see it, what how where, what's going on with your where do AVPR I go for a genome check? Rob, Where do I go to get my genome checked? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. At your local uh, genome uh, genome store. <laughs> I go, to, I go to CVS and they got a genome checker right there next to the blood pressure machine. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> exactly. And and then you know he continues with with his uh, his his little diatribe. Now he mentions the name Takagi, right? Which we now we we all know that this is uh, Joseph Takagi. Joseph so, Yoshinobu Takagi. Yeah. Right. So my my first question I actually that I wanted to look up was. Is Yoshinobu, is that like the Japanese version of Joseph? Mm. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to figure out what it is. The only the only explanation I could find is that uh, Yoshinobu is a masculine Japanese given name. Okay. That's all I could find. It's not like, okay. you know, it's not like you would say, oh, it's it's another, it's, it's you know, if you Anglicanize it, it, it comes out that it's Joseph, which would make right. a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like where you have a lot of people that, that you know, that their names are... Uh, you know, that we have Italians that are like that, you know, right. And stuff like that. So, and then I looked up what Takagi means. Okay. You have any clue what Takagi means in English? Man, no, I have okay. no idea. It means tall tree. Poultry? <laughs> tall tree. Hmm. Awesome. You know, a tree that is tall, not poultry. <laughs> <laughs> it's like poultry. <laughs> what are you trying to say here? Uh, poultry, a tree that is tall, huh? Um, yeah. <laughs> I I guess because he's kind of I, I can see the symbolism kind of. I'm not sure if uh, the Souza just was grabbing names or he actually put any uh, thought into etymology or whatnot. Like, but you know, I right. can I mean, see and... how you can you can make you can make a thing about you know he's the the big tree of the company and they you right. know he keeps it, people close. You can do that. 
Or Steven D'Souza could have been like, you know what sounds really cool? Takagi. Right. <laughs> he could have. Exactly. That, that's probably what it was. Mm-hmm. You know, they probably heard it somewhere. I mean, according to Wikipedia, it has lists 24 people, famous or famous people, you know, with the name Takagi. So I don't know if any of them are related to what, you know, D'Souza used in order to, you know, to, to choose the name here. You know, there's one that's a, uh, an American martial arts instructor named John uh, Momoru Takagi. I don't know. <laughs> no clue. <laughs> but I, I just thought it was pretty funny. And then right. fictional characters, I said there are five. Okay. There, there's obviously Joe Takagi, the one here. And then right. the other four are all from mag- uh, from mangas. Okay. Yeah, which, which, mangas which I guess, came out in before 88 or after 88? I believe they all came out afterwards. Yeah, but I, I'm not I'm life. not a big manga manga fan, so I, I couldn't tell you. I mean I can mm-hmm. tell you the names of them. If you if you know manga, you might know. Okay, you know there's Teasing Master Takagi san. Nope. Okay. <laughs> uh Tomi. Pomi? Uh, Tomi, T O M I E. T O M I E. I think I might have heard of that before. Okay. Bakuman. Bakuman I've heard before. Okay. And uh High School of the Dead. That I've heard before. I'm not a huge manga fan, but uh, uh, I have a friend who definitely is, and I have heard him <laughs> rumble those names a couple times. <laughs> okay, but you've never heard him say Takagi. So now no, you gotta, never heard now you gotta go ask anymore. him if you if you've heard of right. Takagi. I say, hey, was was your was your manga? I almost said comic book. Was your manga inspired by my favorite movie of all time? Was that what's going on here? And he's probably like, no, no, <laughs> no, for sure not. <laughs> Right. And then um, it, it mentions here that he was that that he uh, immigrated to San Pedro, California in 1939 when he was two. Mm-hmm. OK, so St. Pedro, so San Pedro. That, that that there's another backstory thing. 1939. What's going on at that point? Isn't that that's way that's he's a child. So he's probably what two. He's World not War probably two. two. Is, he's two. He's two. He's World two, War so Two is World two years War... away. Two years away, so he's probably going to be in like middle school after the whole World War II things happened. So you know they were probably very in school, very hard on him in public school. If you even went to public school, so I mean that's where it got him that thick skin and that resilience to be, you know, the CEO of a company, pretty much. Could be. That's very possible. So San Pedro is actually a neighborhood in the city of of Los Angeles. It used to actually be its own city. But then it uh, consolidated with L.A. in 1909. Hmm. Okay. It used to be an area that was dom- dominated by the fishing industry, industry, and then it became a working class community. And so what, what's really cool about this is the fact that, you know, just knowing that information says so much about, about his, his, you know, he grew up in a fishing industry. Right. You know, he, he, he's in a, a, I guess, lower to middle class uh, area where he's growing up or, or where he was in, you know, 19, 1939. So then I was looking up to see if there are any interesting people that, that are from the area of St. Pedro. Okay. So first of all, there's, there's a guy, I'm sure you've never heard of him. His name is Larry Walters. Well, that's my friend, eight... Larry Walters. I know Larry. No, I'm, I'm joking. I've never heard of Larry right. Walters. <laughs> okay. He, he's someone who piloted a lawn chair with 45 helium-filled weather balloons <laughs> from his house in St. Petersburg. Joseph, Joseph Takagi's neighbor. 
Larry Walters, <laughs> crazy person with a, with a lawn chair and balloons. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's what's really interesting is is that I mean, this is a guy who was born in 1949, and uh, he died in 1993. So my biggest question is is did he did he die from from flying? <laughs> We'll never know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, he made he made a, a 45 minute flight in a homemade airship made of an ordinary patio chair and 45 helium balloons on July 2nd, 1982. So you're telling me that Pixar stole from this guy's life and made it um, a house instead of a lawn chair. Apparently. And, okay. All right. Yeah, and, okay, and actually, on Wikipedia, they have a picture that looks like a picture from Up. That's yeah, really so, cool. Yeah. All right, all right. A lot of people from a lot of people from uh, Pixar went to school in California, so they might have heard that story, a local story. And it's very possible. And he, he actually, during landing his his aircraft, they call it an aircraft. I like that. You know, became <laughs> entangled in power lines, but oh, he was geez. able to. You're he, asking me if he's alive? You got it. That had to no, be no, he, no. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't. It says the flight attracted worldwide media attention and inspired a movie and imitators. There you go. What is the movie? What is the movie? Well, what do you think? I'm assuming it's, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about. Uh, What's the here, they have a whole uh, list of all the imitators of, of who did it. Wow. There are tons of them. <laughs> <laughs> that's, just, that's just amazing. There's, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Ten. There's 11 people who, who copied him. Okay. There's a guy in, in Massachusetts who made a flight of 9,000 feet with 57 helium balloons and descended by parachute. He was fined $4,000 for violating FAA regulations. They find him. <laughs> they find him. After you almost died, here's a fine. <laughs> there are two guys who in 2001 uh, made it into the Guinness Book of World Records when they were uh, when when they they flew 400 helium balloons in order to uh, in in New Mexico, they made it to the height of eighteen thousand three hundred feet, and they they say that Larry Walters only reached sixteen thousand feet. So, but since bad. he didn't have a proper altimeter, altimeter, so they they couldn't they couldn't measure exactly how high he went. Then uh, someone in Japan did it with twenty three helium balloons. He was found eight hundred kilometers offshore in the Pacific Ocean. Oh, God. And oh, my God. oh wow, that he was spied, spotted offshore, and then he uh, was never seen again. Oh so, my yeah, God! That, that's... <laughs> yeah, a shark got that guy. Uh, maybe there's a 47 year old American gas station owner in 2007 that flew 240 miles in his lawn chair, landing in a field about three and a half miles northwest of of Oregon. You know, he, okay, of Powder, Oregon. He was in Bend, Bend Oregon. I mean, the way gas prices are going now, I mean, helium is cheaper than petrol. You might as well get a lawn chair, <laughs> put some helium balloons on there. If you can get it that far, you can get, you can get it working back. It, right. it's and more then, this, guy, this guy actually did it again oh, uh, a few years later. And in order, because he wanted to make it to the to to Idaho, he wanted to to have the record of going interstate. Who wants to go these, to Idaho? <laughs> these are crazy people. In 2008, there was a Brazilian Roman Catholic priest, uh, Adelaide Antonio de Carli, uh -huh. who suspended 600 helium-filled party balloons and reached the altitude of 5,300 meters, and then landed safely in Argentina. Wow, we went from Brasilia to Argentina. <laughs> 
Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, guys, that is not a short distance. That is oh, wait, 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 time. wait. This is this is even better because this guy actually won the Darwin Award that year. Do you know what the Darwin Award is? Uh, the person that does the stupidest thing. <laughs> and, and gets killed. And okay. gets still doing it. So apparently he didn't, uh, on, on his second flight, which was a few months later, um, he hadn't checked the weather forecast and he got caught in a storm. Oh, he wow. had a GPS but didn't know how to operate it. Oh, and they last wow. heard from him eight hours after liftoff, approaching the water after flying up the coast, unable to give his position before crashing into the Atlantic Ocean. The lower half of his body was found by the Brazilian Navy near an offshore oil platform three months later. The lower half? Was yeah. he chomped in half? What happened? Oh no. That's what it says. Darth Mauled him? Oh my god. <laughs> well Darth Maul came back, so you yeah, know. That's true. That's, maybe he's out somewhere. He's just keeping alive by anger. He's just... <laughs> this is just unbelievable. The the people that the things that these people have done. You know. Wow. But jeez. Yeah. And so up up was it partially inspired by 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 all of these. Wow. And we were just talking about Larry Walters here. <laughs> but just Larry. Just Larry. <laughs> Good old Larry Walters. How did he die? He uh he died. He he killed himself. There you go. No. Oh shoot. When he was forty four. <laughs> it's got he... dark real fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um on August sixth, nineteen ninety three, at the age of forty four, he died by suicide after shooting himself in the heart. He went to like some secluded forest and did that. Oh come on. He all because uh you know, he, he didn't get his uh, Guinness Book of World Record uh, fame with that. Money? I mean, is it that, is it that much money? I don't know. Hey, he was, yeah, he was on right. Letterman. They had him on Letterman after this happened. Oh, man. <laughs> Unbelievable. I bet you Letterman felt guilty about that. Yeah, apparently. All right, so we'll, we'll continue with other people from San Pedro. <laughs> we'll, do, we'll do them quickly. So you have uh, D.L. Hewley. Do you know who that is? Comedian. Yes. yes. So he he uh, he went to San Pedro High School. Right. Then we have uh, Patrick Muldoon, who is an actor from Days of Our Lives, Melrose Place, and uh, he was in Starship Troopers. Right, I think I know. Right, yeah, yeah. and the most famous actor is Mike Lookingland. Do you know who that is? Mike Lookingland. Tell me a movie he's in. Maybe I'll. No, just, I, if I tell you if I tell you the TV show he's in, you'll for sure know what it is. Mike Lookingland. Yes. That does not sound familiar. He was on a TV show from 1969 to 1974. Uh, the Monsters? <laughs> I have no idea. No, that was earlier. That was earlier. He played. He he was Bobby Brady on the Brady Bunch. Oh, see, I would have never known that. I, I was no. not a Brady Bunch fan. Oh, okay. <laughs> I see, I was. I, I I I was. So not when it was. Not when it originally aired. The, the final episode mm. of the Brady Bunch aired the day I was born. So oh, okay. yeah. I, yeah, I, I didn't get to see any of those uh, in, in first run. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, uh, some other famous people, uh, Louis L'Amour. Louis L'Amour. That sounds like he's, a... He's a Western fiction writer. Okay. I was saying so something he... to do with perfume, but like, <laughs> that makes more sense. Yeah. Um, and then uh, when, when you're talking about uh, uh, different people in the movie industry, so uh, Robert Town. Oh, wow. Is from there. Okay. Who I was a writer, award a, Chinatown, four time four time Oscar winner? You know, yeah, I wrote Mission for, Impossible too. <laughs> Mission Impossible and Mission Impossible too. Yeah, yeah, and Chinatown, and Chinatown, and the firm he just featured on the TV show the uh, uh somebody there's a recreation, but he's on the offer the the Godfather 
making oh, okay. a miniseries. Yeah, they, there was a scene where a character was playing Robert Town, speaking to uh, Miles Teller. Like, oh, hey, Robert Town, Chinatown. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, then you uh, also have uh, Tony Scott. Oh, wow. Okay. That yes. makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. Tony Scott loves filming in L.A., so. But not only was that, he committed suicide there. Yeah, he did. <laughs> jumped off a bridge, yeah. He jumped off Jeez. the Vincent Thomas Bridge in the St. Yeah. Pedro Port District. So, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, in, in retrospect, he's, I mean, Top Gun is like taking over the, the box office. So kind of like in his memory. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. And then the, 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 the final thing I wanted to talk about on this particular uh, minute was uh, Manzanar. To, okay. Are you familiar with Manzanar? I am not. I always hear him say it. I'm like, what in the hell is Manzanar? <laughs> I never knew what that was. Okay. So Manzanar was one of 10 American concentration camps. Oh, wow. Okay, which uh, they put 120,000 Japanese-Americans in during World War II between March of 1942 and November 1945. It's located at the foot of the Sierra Nevada Mountains, and it's uh, it's about 230 miles north of, of L.A. Okay, the word Manzanar actually means apple orchard in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And it is the best preserved of the 10 former campsites because after the war, they pretty much destroyed most of the campsites because they were pretty embarrassed for having done uh, for having done something like this. Well, that goes right to his backstory again, where he's he, Takagi is uh, strong willed. He, I mean, right. if, you're, if you're in a concentration camp and you grew up during World War Two and you're Japanese in America, your skin is pretty tough. I'd say. That's right. That's very true. So there are three movies that 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 take place in or that that, that feature Manzanar. What, do you know? Can you think of any of them? No, I cannot. Okay, so one of them is uh, called "Come See the Paradise" with uh, Dennis Quaid. All right. Which I, I I like that. It's a great movie. It's about uh, you know an American who falls in love with a Japanese girl, and then you know he he gets. Uh, he he has to join the army, and then she get her, she and her family get sent to Manzanar, and he's trying to get back to them and stuff like that. I, I okay. really enjoyed that movie. Then you have uh, a movie, Snow Falling Into Unseaters. I've heard of Snow, yes. Which uh, is about a a family or a community of Japanese Americans from the state of Washington who are incarcerated there, and it goes through what happened to them while they were there. Is is a movie that came out in 1999. Right. And then the final movie is one that I'm sure you've heard of, mm. uh, The Karate Kid. Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> the perfect. <laughs> Pat Mr. Uh. Yeah. Mickey, Mr. Miyagi okay, tells uh, Daniel about the fact that his wife and son uh, both died in Manzanar. Dang. Yes. And what's even more interesting is that Pat Morita himself was interned there for two years. When he was a little kid with his parents. That's crazy. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes so, sense. So you know what? Maybe Mr. Miyagi and Joe Takagi, Takagi know each other. Oh, look at that's a hey, that's a script right there. <laughs> that's a script right there. <laughs> you can write a script about that. Go ahead. You know, I, I, I give you the rights to that. Takagi, but from what you're reading, his backstory is some hard level stuff. Yes. I mean, that is a that is a movie right there. You can do. Yeah, but un- unfortunately, both Pat Morita and uh, um, James Chiquetta, James Chiquetta. Right. Yeah, so yeah. Unfortunately, both of them have passed away, so it, it won't be as good if you make a. I mean, obviously, you couldn't use either. A prequel of them. series. You can get cast two. Yeah, but uh, you want a prequel series, but you want to still have the flashbacks. 
because otherwise, yeah. you know, who's Takagi and who's who's uh, Mr. Miyagi? You know, you're trying like, to do a, you're trying to do a Godfather two situation, but you can't just go full prequel. You can't like a, like you know they did Ip Man that way. You can you can do that, right? Gotta go to good writer. Get Robert Town. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> now the the last line of of this minute is great that he mentions that he is a scholarship student at the University right. of California, which again tells us so much about his background that you know his family didn't have money he needed to go to college um on scholarship right which says a lot about him also he's so, a bad man he's, i mean yes. he's a good man but i mean he's a, he's pulled literally the american dream essentially is yes. is joseph takagi yeah pretty much all right so you have anything else for for this minute before we get into the script uh no we're good i'm good okay so the 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 script here there are a few discrepancies not that many but uh first of all the language is a little different because what he says what uh, han says is lady he says ladies and gentlemen due to the nakatomi corporation's legacy of of greed around the globe it is about to be taught a lesson on real power you will be witnesses if our demands are not met however you may become participants instead oh that's a good line it, it's a little more vicious by the way right. he says it and then it says he you know checks his notes and says now, where is Takagi? Where is the man who used to be in charge here? <laughs> and, that, then, think... and then it says, Takagi is shoved forward. He's worried, but far from cowed. So, and they don't have the bio at all. Okay. So, I mean, I'm assuming that Alan Rickman didn't decide to ad-lib the whole idea of the, uh, you know, the this bio. This might have been a, a McTiernan thing where he's like, I want, I want him to to go that's the staging of it i want him to kind of like weave in and out of the crowd right. so we just we need him to do something like we don't want it in silence we'll just yes. probably just we'll just make up a backstory for him to this spot off probably yeah completely now i i think that if he did all this research he would have a picture of takagi mm. you know i mean <laughs> that's true. I know, that I is helped. true it's only it is didn't, they didn't have google i know that but still you know you think that in his final facts he would have a picture of him also you know, they, say, oh. they, they they do add a couple Japanese uh, actors in the scene, I guess, just to compensate yeah. for that. But you're right; they should have been a, <laughs> should have had a picture of it. <laughs> you know, it's like where's where's Takagi's baseball card? Um, <laughs> where's the where's the 1979 Takagi? <laughs> I've been looking for it <laughs> my entire life. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, they 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 do a great job with that of of making the scene come alive. Every Monday, we have a segment called Die Hard on a Monday where my guests will give their top five diehard doppelganger movies. So, DJ, what have you got for us? Start with number five and work your way up. All right. Uh, five was really hard for me, uh, mainly because uh, in terms of quality, the fifth ones, are kind of the ones that are trying to buy into this list, kind of all mixed together in terms of quality. But I'm going to go Air Force One because it does have Gary Oldman and Harrison Ford going head-to-head, which is probably – the best actor protagonist antagonist coupling of all of these. So I'm going to go air force one, number five. Okay. Uh, number four is an unsung movie. Uh, I remember watching this movie in the theater and I freaking loved it. Uh, I'm going toy soldiers, uh, toy soldiers. Um, oh, great movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember watching this and just the fact that, I I, re- I realized at this point this is just Die Hard in a school, <laughs> like yes. this is and it's Samwise Gamgee, it's John McClane. But uh, I, I got a real soft spot for this film. It's insane as a concept, but I, I really dig it um, on the simple fact that 
uh, we've been toying around doing a movie commentary for this movie for a while, but we rarely ever do a commentary on a movie that we really like. <laughs> and it's because of this movie, we really like it. We It's just been sitting there. We haven't done it. But yeah, Toy Soldier's good. You got Luke Gossett Jr. Uh, I, I mentioned... Um, you got Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton plays... Will Wheaton plays, is in here for uh, yeah, a little but, bit. But, yeah. But he's, he's a little... Uh, he's miscast as a uh, mafia son. You know, yeah. <laughs> As the mafioso son, yes. Uh, yeah, with, the, with that with that earring, the way that they, you know, just to make him, you know, to to break out of that Wesley Crusher. Uh... Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. It's kind of like a it's kind of like a school ties meets uh meets Die Hard kind of movie. But I I dig it. I dig it. Um, yeah. Number number three, we mentioned it earlier. Uh, I'm going Under Siege. Uh, great cast. Uh, as capable as Casey Ryback is, he's not as a not as charismatic a lead for me. Uh, maybe because of Steven Seagal, probably because of Steven Seagal. Well, it's, yeah, it's I, my favorite Steven Seagal role. There's, I mean, I, I hate most of them. My favorite Steven Seagal. That's a good question. Is that my favorite Steven Seagal role? It, role, yes. Movie, I think I lean hard to kill, but I think it's everything else around it, not him. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yes. I, I, I think I, you're. I, I think you're leaning towards Kelly LeBrock there with Hard to Kill. That so, and I uh, love. I love revenge movies, and that's pretty much just a straight up revenge movie and what's his name William Sadler is the bad guy so yeah I, I, I think Casey Ryback as a role yes this is probably the only the, the most likable Steven Seagal has been in any movie but he's still not likable at all <laughs> so, right and it was the yeah. first time that they got him to, to chop up that that, that stupid uh, ponytail oh, so. Jesus, yeah, stupid. anyway uh, yeah. number two um, uh, I, I talked about this with uh, I think Jay and uh, I think I talked about it with Jay and we talked for hours it was Cliffhanger Number two, oh, of, uh, all, of all the Die Hard clones, I think this has the most enjoyable villain that's not Die Hard. Yeah, okay. <laughs> John, John right. Lithgow just chews the living crap out of the scenery in this movie. Yeah. He is the entire, he's worth a ticket. The price of admission is John Lithgow just kill a man, he's like, you're a murderer. Kill a million, you're a conqueror. Go figure. He's just so, he's so freaking fantastic. And you got, uh, you know, Stallone with no shirt on, climbing a mountain, which is ridiculous. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> and number one, of course, it, 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 I think in terms of quality-wise uh, and the fact that the cinematographer of Die Hard directed this movie, and there's a Die Hard Easter egg in it, I'm going with speed. So, yeah, uh, I don't know if you've talked about it, the, the, the terrorists in Die Hard, or the antagonists in Die Hard, arrive in a... Uh, truck that says Atlantic Courier, and in Speed, when the bus finally blows yes. up, it drives yeah. into a plane that says Pacific Courier, or something to that yeah. effect. I think they have the same, they have this, it's the same yeah. fictional exactly what it is. Yeah. corporation. I think Atlantic Courier's in Die Hard with a Vengeance, Pacific Courier's the same truck that's in um, Die Hard and in this. So yes, I'm going Speed number one. Alright, excellent. Great. Alright, so you want to tell people how they can get in touch with you, DJ? Uh, I'm on, t- on Twitter. I'm under at trying to be DJV. The show's handle is at simply tweeters, simply tweeting. Uh, it's linked to me. I, 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 they change the name all the time. Uh, if you want to find our show, the simplistic reviews podcast, just search simplistic reviews, uh, simplistic dot reviews, simplistic reviews on Google's. We're on YouTube. We're on Stitcher. We're on TuneIn. We're on Spotify. We're everywhere. So if you want to hear a bunch of silliness, uh, go check us out. All right. Excellent. And while you're doing that, you can go rate, review, and subscribe on any podcast you might be using to listen to this show. You can find me very simply just by doing a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on my website. You can find me on Twitter. And you can find me on Facebook. Till tomorrow, yippee Yippee-ki-yay. yippee